His father and grandfather won the Florida Derby. Now can Independence Hall continue the lineage? We'll talk with his trainer. Plus, the effects of COVID-19 keep creeping closer to home. We'll remember two in the horse racing community who have lost their lives to the virus. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll silent. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hip-hopping finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Boys or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Boys. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And with the time now to reflect, maybe the folks at America's Best Racing will remember that we're here when it comes time for their awards this November. Not only that, but in the racing podcast space, we were here first. Independence Hall is one of the leading contenders for the Florida Derby. He started his career with three straight wins, two of them as a two-year-old. He competed in the Grade 3 Nashua on Breeders' Cup weekend instead of competing in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Not a bad decision, as it turns out. Independence Hall is in between horses and has now taken over the lead as Spycraft drops back down towards the rail. With a quarter of a mile to the finish, Independence Hall has opened up on the field here. Independence Hall has a seven-length lead. Now more than that... Independence Hall is pouring it on here in the Nashua Stakes. A tremendous effort here by Independence Hall, won by maybe a dozen lengths. He added a win on New Year's Day as a newly minted three-year-old in the Jerome at Aqueduct. But now the appropriately named son of 2014 Florida Derby winner Constitution enters a race for the first time looking to bounce back. That's because he finished second in the Sam F. Davis last time out across the state in Tampa to Sole Volante. Three wins and a second in four starts for Independence Hall, who was trained by Michael Trombetta. And we welcome Mr. Trombetta for the first time here to win the gate. This horse has had most of his workouts at Tampa, but the last one came at Gulfstream. What, if anything, did you notice about the difference in him working at Gulfstream as opposed to Tampa? I didn't notice any significant differences. He's always been uh, an accommodating type of horse. He worked well at Tampa. He worked well at Gulfstream, you know, looking to see if there was any immediate differences and really didn't see any. Our, our rider's been happy with him in both places. So, you know, I just wanted to get him acclimated to this surface and give him a chance to gallop over it a little bit, breeze over it, and hopefully get a chance to run on Saturday. We'll see about that, hopefully. Uh, you brought him along slowly. You bypassed the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You ran in the Jerome on New Year's Day instead of going right into the deep end of the pool, which is obviously where you are now. What made you choose this path for him? Well, it was a lot of discussions with the owner. This is a race that was on the radar for him as an ultimate goal. And the biggest discussion came after the Jerome win, whether, or I'm sorry, after the Sam Davis defeat, actually, whether to try to run him twice before the Derby or once. And it was kind of, you know, at the owner's thought process for him was, let's take one big shot and run once. And, uh, of course, all those conversations became, happened before 
they moved to Derby down the road. So, you know, it's just been a season of change. The Florida Derby is the end of the so-called championship meet at Gulfstream, and many trainers migrate north after that. You would typically head to Maryland. With the COVID-19 protocols in place nationwide, what will happen to your operation after this weekend? Well, we're, we're uh, like the rest of everybody else. We turn into a training center after this weekend. There's just so few places to race these horses. We're going to go back up to Maryland and regroup and try to prepare all these guys as well as we can. The horses that I will be evaluating, you know, are stable and anything that looks like it needs any kind of break or rest. Obviously, now's a great time to do it. Um, you know, and we'll concentrate on some more of our young horses and try to get them to the next level to be ready to run when it's time. Will you be allowed to return to Maryland coming from out of state? Uh, partially. Uh, right now, I cannot ship into my laurel string. I'm hoping that changes soon. However, uh, we we are able to go into Fair Hill, uh, where I have quite a few horses stable. Obviously, if Independence Hall runs safely and successfully this weekend, the next logical step would be the big one. But as we said, that race has been moved to September 5th, Labor Day weekend. So without knowing right now what the schedule of potential starts for him will be leading up to September, how do you approach training the horse after the Florida Derby? Well, it's a good question. Uh, For starters, you buy yourself a little time by running. So, you know, we really don't have to do anything different after the Florida Derby for the next few weeks, uh, be back, you know, getting back to full work and doing all the stuff that you would do. So hopefully there's a little clarity by then, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, This is all new for all of us. We're just going to have to see what our future holds. We're talking here on In the Gate with trainer Michael Trombetta, who will send out Independence Hall in the Florida Derby. Since your base is typically in the Mid-Atlantic and South Florida, you would normally cross paths on a consistent basis with trainers Jason Service and Jorge Navarro, who were subjects of federal indictments on March 9th. What are your thoughts on how that went down? Well, uh, you know, everybody's had a, a, a lot of suspicion, so to speak. Uh, they've been able to kind of do some training feats that most of the rest of us haven't been able to duplicate. So, you know, I would have never dreamed that some of the things that were put out there were going on like this and um, would have never surmised that the two parties may even possibly have been linked together. But that being said, uh, you know, the bulk of the people that play this game do it the right way. They play by the rules that were given Unfortunately, there's always going to be an element of people that try to get out and around those. So we'll see see what transpires, but they certainly have a problem on their hands, no doubt about that. What are your thoughts on the proposed Horse Racing Integrity Act, which would create an independent organization to create and enforce nationwide rules regarding medication for horses? You know, I don't know enough about it to say for sure because I doesn't know. I really don't know exactly what it looks like. That being said, what we all learned here is that if, in fact, these things that they say were happening actually were going on, it tells you that testing alone isn't enough to control the situations that have been happening. So we need help in some regards. That's for sure. 
Last year, Independence Hall's win in the Nashua was one of five graded stakes races that you won. Global Access won three of them. Before that, you have to go back to 2012. Now, forgive me for not knowing, but is Global Access still in training? He's on a break right now. He had a hard run last season, and uh, he's he's on a bit of a break. He will be back hopefully uh, later on in the calendar. And Independence Hall now makes his move. Independence Hall is the leader, getting away to lead by two. Prince of Pharaohs has moved up, and on the outside it's Bourbon Bay. Independence Hall by a length and a half as they come for the quarter pole. Prince of Pharaohs on the outside Bourbon Bay. It is Independence Hall with the lead, and now a furlong to the finish. Jose Ortiz showing him the whip. Now goes to work on Independence Hall, who has a three-length lead, just a sixteenth to the finish. And it's the Constitution Colt Independence Hall to win the Jerome. Won it by four lengths. And one more on Independence Hall. He was pretty close to the pace in the Sam Davis and finished somewhere other than first for the first time. What, if any, adjustments do you make for the Florida Derby? Well, Rosario is going to ride him. He is familiar with him. He rode him in his first start. You know, well, depending upon what post we draw and how the race shapes up, most all those decisions are going to be up to him. He's just going to have to find his way around there and see what we can get done. Now we certainly wish you the best of luck, not just on Saturday, of course, but navigating the murky waters that lie ahead. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. You got it. Take care and thank you. The COVID nineteen virus keeps creeping closer to home. We'll remember two in the harness racing community who have lost their lives to the virus. So don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. As we all await for the Angel of Death to pass over our houses and spare us, much as the ancient Israelites did in the Book of Exodus, you know, the tenth plague, we take the time to remember a couple of people in the horse racing community who unfortunately were not spared, specifically in the harness racing world. John Brennan was a four-decade owner and trainer, starting up at the harness track in Saratoga and then at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. He died on Tuesday, March 10th, at the age of 69. Just as much of the world started shutting down, he was the first COVID-19 victim overall who lived in the state of New Jersey. John Brennan lived in New Jersey, but had recently been working as an official at Yonkers Raceway in New York, where he came into contact with trainers Carmine and Vincent Fusco. Carmine, age 55, Vincent, age 53. And their mother and sister all died from the virus within six days of each other. Carmine and Vincent and their sister Rita were three of eleven Fusco children. Carmine Fusco lived and trained standard breds in eastern Pennsylvania, and like John Brennan in New Jersey, Fusco was the first resident of Pennsylvania to die from the virus. To put into perspective what these deaths mean in the context of the coronavirus, we welcome in here to win the gate Mark Ford, who is also a trainer and the president of the Standard Bred Breeders and Owners Association of New Jersey. What did you think as you heard of John Brennan's death and that of the whole Fusco family? Well, to start with, John John Brennan and I were very, very dear friends, and he was one of these guys who was a hypochondriac. Like every day, he was going to the hospital about something. And you know, after a while, you sort of like put it off. You say, "What's、well, John? You know, it's it's no big deal." But he'd been sick for it seemed like forever, and finally, 
we were supposed to travel on Friday going to the USTA meetings in Columbus. And I talked to him on Monday at two o'clock in the hospital. And that Monday was also the day of reckoning here with all these arrests being made. And uh, he was pretty upset over that. You know, a lot of the people we knew were involved and such. And Tuesday morning, they got another call at six o'clock and uh, John had died during the night. So it really, it really put things into perspective and really, it really shook me up because uh, he was such a dear friend and such a good dear friend of the industry too. I mean, he was uh, in a paddock every night at Yonkers and being, you know, he was a horseman, you know, he had horses at the Meadowlands for years and years. And towards the, uh, you know, the last few years, he'd been the horseman's rep at Yonkers and a USTA director for the last 20 years or more. And um, John was uh, you know, always there you know, fighting for the horsemen and not only a real good friend, but a really, really good guy. And I'm sure the, the industry will, will certainly miss him. And uh, it's been a, it's been a, a, a shock you know, for everyone. So I certainly remember watching him drive at the Meadowlands when I was growing up and remember when he was part owner and trainer of Sugar Trader, who in 2003 finished runner-up in the sport's biggest race, the Hamiltonian, and won another leg of the trotting Triple Crown, the Yonkers Trot. Manzian Sugar Trader cranking it up at Sugar Trader effortlessly on now to take the lead. Solicitor Hanover now has given way. On tour is locked in third. But as they come towards the top of the stretch, and Sugar Trader has given them the slip, it's Sugar Trader by five. The 49th edition of the Yonkers Trot goes to Sugar Trader. And I believe John Brennan was on the board of the Standard Bread Owners of New York for more than three decades. What was he like as an administrator? He knew everything that was going on, and he was... He was you know, a true friend of the horse didn't have a big family, didn't have any kids, but he spent a lot of time with the horsemen and more or less adopted a lot of their kids. And, uh, you know, he, he was, he had lots and lots of friends around and they, it was just like, he was, uh, he was truly one that was a shock. You, you just can't believe that, you know, he'd say he's not around. When I first came to New York, he was a, one of the first person or people you meet on the backstretch. And, uh, he always said, not a big stable, but you know, had uh, you know, ten or twelve all the time, and was always uh, was always there. And uh, it's uh, really just a good guy and a terrible shock. Mark Ford of the Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association of New Jersey is with us here on In the Gate. One of the sisters of Carmine and Vincent Fusco said, "To everybody, this is a virus. To us, it's a person." What do you know of the effect these deaths have had on the Fusco family? Well, I was dear friends with Carmine Fusco for years and years. We traveled together. We, he was a tenant of mine for for years and a, and a truly a, a good friend. And, uh, you know, he'd been in New Jersey. Are, uh, this is a, a blue-collar family that, that has been working in the horse business for years. I mean, the mother, the father, three or four of their brothers and sisters, it was just... You know, like you can't imagine Freehold, New Jersey, without the Fusco family. There's just so many of them, and uh, Vinny Ginsburg is a, uh, one of the leading drivers of Freehold. Uh, is uh, a nephew of of them, and uh, it's it just it's one thing to lose a member of their family. I mean, they're very very tight knit. I think it was eleven brothers and sisters. But uh, I know a couple of years ago they lost their father for you know, he was, you know for natural causes. 
and it was such a you know such a big deal. But now you you lose Carmine, the matriarch of the family, and then his mother and and sister, and, and it just keeps going. And then Vinny was probably uh, you know he's another one. They're just New Jersey horse people that. Um, have been around forever, and you don't ever expect them to be go anywhere else. And how do you um, understand this? I mean, it's just it, it wipes, you know, the, like uh, a big, big part of your uh, a big part of your uh, you know pop, the horse population, and as well as that, they're all good friends too. And it's uh, for personally, it's been a it's been a terrible week, and. Uh, you know, life must go on, but uh, it's not going to be near as easy as it was. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Just so our listeners know, Carmine Fusco served a five-year ban starting in 2012 for multiple drug offenses involving his horses, much like Rick Dutrow in the thoroughbred world. Now, as you know, several thoroughbred tracks have continued to run with limited personnel on site during this pandemic. With deaths actually occurring in the harness world, how are people and tracks coping and moving forward? Well, it, it's it's just one of those things where this has happened so fast. I know it's been two weeks now since it's happened, but people were walking around in the days. I mean, it's just rocked our whole world. I mean, it's one thing to cancel the racing where none of us have any income, but this is real. I mean, like you look around, it's hard to believe that Carmine Fusco is not going to be here anymore or five or six of the people that we deal with literally on a daily basis aren't going to be here anymore. And uh, it's just devastating. I mean, I don't think people talk about a, a dose of reality. I mean, for one thing, if someone was killed in a car wreck, I mean, you could mourn, you can get over it. Or if the family was, uh, you know, if the whole Fusco family was killed in a, for instance, a car wreck or a house fire or something, well, you can you can get over it and go, you know, that's the way life is. And it's terrible, but we have to go on. But with this stuff, I mean, it could be one of us tomorrow. I mean, it's, I mean, people, I'm sure, didn't take this very seriously at all, or maybe they're still not taking it seriously enough. But these are things that we have to deal with, and it's this is a tremendously big deal because you know it could be any one of us tomorrow or the next day. It's uh, it's serious stuff, and it's uh, I don't think we've seen the end of it yet. Mark Ford, president of the Standard Bread Breeders and Owners Association of New Jersey, thank you so much for your time and for your candor, and we hope that all of you can find peace and stay safe. I thank you uh, very much, and um, we'll be in touch. Our thanks once again to Mark Ford and Michael Trombetta. It isn't every day you see a three-year-old female preparing to race colts instead of fillies. But Taraz was highly thought of by Judmont and trainer Brad Cox, so she might have run for roses instead of lilies. But during a workout in February, Taraz was fatally injured, and the dream of glory was shattered in a flash. So you could sense the bittersweet feelings at the end of the fairgrounds oaks when Taraz's workmate took home the first-place cash. Bonnie South comes from far back. Taraz had been a speed horse. Jockey Florent Giroux had ridden each little miss. I loved her, Flo the jock had said of his fallen superstar. Now Bonnie South will carry on that promise. 
Bonnie South, unlike Taraz, had never run in a stakes and so was not the favorite at fairgrounds. But Bonnie South will now bring Cox, Judmont, and Giroux to the Kentucky Oaks, where mixed feelings will surely abound. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, the Pink Podcatcher app, and the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And with all the time now to reflect, maybe you can get the folks at America's Best Racing to remember that we're here when it comes time for their awards this November. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.